happy Monday to you all. Welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking. I'm your host, Larry Frank, on this Football Monday. And boy, do we have a lot of football to get to. In a little bit, we're going to have a very special guest. He's from The Athletic. He covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he worked for the Tampa Bay Times for 19 years. Greg Orman will be joining us to to discuss the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and who they might actually go after in the draft this year. Uh, We also have, if you have not seen the show, yesterday we did for the first time a live show of Frankly Speaking on the airways, on Facebook Live, had had a number of people viewed our show. We talked about the upcoming NFL draft, who I predicted to be the first five picks, and also talked about other teams that we have such a great following with on this show, like the Jets, the Bucks, the Chiefs, who are local here and also the Dallas Cowboys. So if you have not seen that show, you can go to my Facebook page, Frankly Speaking. It's also on Twitter, at Larry Frankis. So both of those ways. Also, I keep telling people this, and it's one of the best things you can do. If you have Facebook, like, follow, and listen to Frankly Speaking page. Lots of information, a lot of immediate updates on what's going on in the sports world, as well as our Twitter account. Follow us on Twitter if you have a Twitter account, at Larry Frankis, that's with a U-S at the end. Before we get into football, I always say, even though it's Football Monday, if some big news comes down the pipe that we want to discuss that is not football We will go ahead and do so at the beginning of the show. And for those who you did not know, they had a virtual draft in the WNBA. And the first pick in the WNBA draft, which was no surprise, was Sabrina Ionescu of um, Oregon. And uh, we got a tape here that we want you to hear. And it shows her finding out she was the number one pick in the WNBA draft. Let's listen. Hey, Sabrina. The wait is over. Congratulations. Welcome to the New York Liberty and the WNBA. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Congratulations on being the number one overall pick. Uh, We want to take you back first to a moment when you were 12 years old. Take a look and a listen here to you spelling out your dreams when you were 12. Overall, I have valued all my basketball experiences and I'm looking forward to many more. My family has always been their inspiration to keep pushing and one day become a WNBA player. <laughs> Pretty cool to hear 12-year-old Sabrina outline what turns out to come true on this day. Sabrina, I I know you've talked about, and you talk with Holly during the week, about how, you know, even though, yeah, you hear you're going to be the number one overall pick, there's still some nerves. So what was it like experiencing this moment, finally hearing that you are the first pick of this year's draft? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a blessing, and I'm just blessed to be able to spend this time with my family, my coach, and uh, Bill Duffy. And so I'm just really blessed to be able to be in this position that I've worked so hard for my entire life. Sabrina, you're a West Coast kid from California, played at Oregon. Now you're going to be coming across the country. What are your thoughts on coming to New York and playing for the Liberty? Yeah, I've only been in New York twice, but I'm really excited to be able to, to get to Brooklyn and um, just enjoy the city and, and start playing. Sabrina, we have talked about this. Um, Diana Tarazi said she recognizes something in you, and that is a hunger because your family are immigrants. You are a first-generation American. Is How will that hunger drive you in a, a beautiful city like New York full of immigrants who can embrace you and love you? Yes, I mean, I'm just excited for the opportunity. I'm, I'm going to enjoy this for a couple of days, but I'm just excited to get out there and start working and uh, get, get to know my team, get to know the coaching staff, and really just get to work. You told me that one of the areas you were the most proud of that you grew in this year at Oregon was your leadership. Now with Tina Charles being traded away, you will be the face of that team and the leader of that team. How will that leadership skill you've honed this year help you hit the ground running as a leader for New York? Yep. I mean, I've grown in, in the leadership category through my four years at Oregon, and I'm going to continue to grow in that category as I enter the league. So I'm just excited to learn from the players that are there and, and make new friendships and, and continue to grow in, in every aspect of the game. All right, Sabrina. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations. That was Sabrina. Ionescu of, uh, well, former Oregon player who was the number one pick in the WNBA draft by the New York Liberty. She was the all-time leaders in college in career triple-doubles and three-time Pac-12 player of the year. Congratulations, Sabrina. We wish you the best of luck. So, as we move on, we will be heading over to our Football Monday. Wow, am I fired up. I'm just pumped. This week, it's three days away, everyone. The NFL Draft. Boy, can I wait. Some type of sports action is going to be going on here in the United States of America this Thursday night. And we're all looking forward to it. And... <clears throat> You know, the number one pick, and we went over our picks yesterday, but I don't think it's a surprise for anyone that Joey Burrows is expected to go number one in the NFL draft. Now, the thing about quarterbacks, and we talked a little bit on our live show about this yesterday, is first-year quarterbacks in the NFL do not fare very well. And let me explain what I mean by that. Before I get a bunch of calls and questions and, you know, emails about this. There are some that start their rookie year that do well. I believe uh, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, just to name a few. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, I'll name another one, back years ago uh, when he started with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But from a percentage standpoint... First-year quarterbacks who start as a rookie do not have as much success as a quarterback that sits for a year. Let's look. 2015, you got Winston and Mariota, one and two. What have they done? 
nothing. They haven't made it. You know, they're not great quarterbacks. You got Sam Donald, who nobody knows what's going to go on with him. Is he going to be successful? Is he not going to be successful? Just a lot of quarterbacks that did not sit, that are not having great careers. I mean, let's look at it. Tom Brady sat. Aaron Rodgers sat. Uh, Brett Favre sat. There is so many great quarterbacks that did not start their career the first year, first game as a rookie. And I think what happens is this game is so fast. You know, anybody that compares college football to professional football, there is no comparison. If you played the game or ask players that have played the game, it's so much of a faster game in the NFL. And what you do is you bring in these quarterbacks in who are just basically reaching uh, social maturity. They're coming out of college, and boom, you throw them right into a system that is just way too fast for them, and the, they fail. They fail. I mean, look at Baker Mayfield. He's struggling big time. Okay, these guys are not ready, and that's one of the points we brought up yesterday in our show was about Joey Burrows. Yes, he should be the number one pick. The problem with the NFL draft is that the worst team in football picks first. So, and you heard Joey kind of hint at that he doesn't necessarily want to play with the Cincinnati Bengals, and that's a whole nother topic for another mm -hmm. time, but there's bigger needs in Cincinnati than the quarterback position. They still have Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton was the 19th ranked quarterback last year in the NFL. Okay? Not great. He's a middle of the pack quarterback. The problem there is they had nobody to protect him. I mean, the offensive line is terrible. They were 30th in the league in offense, 25th in defense, believe me, why would you want to put a quarterback in there that is going to get killed for his first couple of years? You know, I, you know, if they do pick Jerry, Joey Burrows, a lot of people are saying that Andy Dalton will be gone. I don't think that's a question in anybody's mind. But, you know, for me, I'm not so sure putting Joey Burrows in there to start right away is a great idea. And I'd love to hear your opinions. Once again, if you want to leave your opinions, contact us. You can go to franklyspeaking528 at gmail.com. You can go to our Twitter account, Larry Frank. I'm sorry, our Twitter account is at Larry Frankis. That's with the U.S. at the end. And you can also go to our Facebook page. Frankly speaking, look down for my face with the beard. You'll see a bunch of podcasts listed. Go ahead, click on. Lots of information. But I just don't feel like these, you know, the same thing with Tua. The same thing with Herbert. Who, you know, those are probably the top three ranked quarterbacks in the draft this year. Um, they're going to get in there. And if they don't sit down, especially now with, us now knowing what's going on, when the, there's no uh, rookie camps right now after the draft, like they usually have because of the coronavirus, it's just, it scares me a little bit that a team that needs so much work 
like the Cincinnati Bengals. They were 2-14 and 14 last year. It just scares me to put a quarterback that has so much talent and so much money into this guy so that he can fail. He is not set up for success in Cincinnati. So that's my opinion on the number one pick. A quick recap of our picks, real simple, was I picked Joey Burrows to go first. The Redskins, I picked Andrew Thomas of Georgia, the offensive lineman. Third was the Lions. I picked Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker from Clemson. Fourth, the Giants. I picked Chase Young, defensive end, Ohio State. And then fifth was the Dolphins. I picked Tua to go to the Miami Dolphins. So that was a recap of our show yesterday as far as the top five picks go. And I'm not a big fan of picking past number five because so many things can go go on in this draft with people trading up, people trading back, what are your needs, what's, you know, and that that's one of the tough things with the draft is, you know, you'll hear a lot of GMs and personnel talk about, do you go after the best player or do you go after the best player based on your needs? For example, you know, some people will say Chase Young is the best player in the NFL draft the defensive end from Ohio State. Well, you know, does he fit your needs? For example, if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers picking, do you pick a Chase Young if he was available, which he won't be, I'm just using an example, or do you go after a need like an offensive lineman? And speaking of the Tampa Bay Bucks, here in a little bit, uh, we're going to be having Greg Orman of The Athletic joining us, and we'll be talking to him about the Tampa Bay Bucks, about the NFL drafts, and some of the rumors that are going on in the NFL. Um, when we come back from break, of course, we're going to hear from my great buddy Dickie V, as we always do with a tip of the day. We're going to talk about some of the rumors going on um in the NFL this week of trading, of trades, of draft picks, and what you're hearing um, when we come back from this break. We'll be back in one moment. The former great champ, one of my favorite athletes, the champ, Muhammad Ali. He said, make every day count. Make every day important. I used to love the champ. I told him one time when I spoke at a big event, he was sitting in the front. I said, champ, I loved you, man. I loved it when you said to Sonny Liston, if the crowd dares the boo, I'm going to finish you in two. And if you ever call me a bum, I'm going to knock you sorry, but I'm one. He was so special, and he was so optimistic. But again, he made every day count. He went out and battled to become the champ he was. And you can too. And whatever you pursue in your life, whatever your dreams may be. I know I was labeled as a kid by some of my friends, a boy, a ball, a dream. Chasing my dreams. You chase your dreams. You might catch them, but the only way you're going to catch them is by work ethic and working and making every day productive. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. I'm your host, Larry Frank, and I'm thinking about some of the previous drafts that I went on. And, you know, the past 36 years before I moved here to Bentonville, Arkansas, you know, I lived in Tampa Bay, and I'm like, who was, in my opinion, 
since I've been in Tampa. Now, Leroy Soman was the first draft pick ever by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I'll tell you what, this guy has to be, in my opinion, one of the best picks that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers ever had in the NFL draft. just runs flat over people. Mike Allside, bouncing off the tackle, kicks his way free, gets his balance, drives into the open. Allstott, no hole, trying to slip his way out, gets outside. Look at those moves by the big man. He's still going. Allstott, running over the left side. Mike Allstott won't go down. Wow. And here is Allstott trying to go outside. They still haven't brought him down. He's going to score. And again, Mike Wallstein. He has been that way all day. Look at this. Down in the backfield. Allstott. He's Keep still going. Allstott. Hit. Bulls his way across the 40. Still going. Down the sideline. Inside the 20. To the 10. He's in. Touchdown. That was the great Mike Allstott. You know, people don't realize, Mike Allstott, probably the, be the best fullback ever by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, was a second-round pick. He was actually the 35th pick in uh, the draft, and what a great, great pick. One of my, all, you know, people ask me all the time, who's your favorite Tampa Bay Buck of all time? And Mike Allstott is right on top there with uh, being my favorite uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneer draft pick ever. Now, rumors going on down in the Tampa Bay area. And once again, Greg Orman will be joining us in a little bit. But we're going to ask him about some of these things. O.J. Howard, how long is his life expectancy with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A lot of rumors going out of Tampa Bay that O.J. Howard will not be playing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers come the 2020 season. The second thing, Leonard Fournette is on the block. Jacksonville's just taking everybody and just remantling that entire team. They lost Bowie. They lost Ramsey. They lost Campbell. The whole defense is gone. Nick Foles is gone. Now they want to get rid of Leonard Fournette. So the big question is, where will Leonard Fournette fit best? He's only owned $4.6 million on his contract this upcoming year. The only problem with that is after that year, he can become a free agent. So I think the big thing in the Tampa Bay area is, is he worth the one year? And my opinion is yes, and I'll tell you why. Bruce Arians is only there for two years. Tom Brady is only there for two years. This is pretty much uh, this year and next year is you win it or you don't. You're putting all your marbles in and you're hoping to come up with a Super Bowl champion. They're not going to have Paul back I mean, they got him back for next year. They got Paul, they got Sue, they got Barrett. But these guys aren't going to be around after two more years. This team that you're seeing in Tampa Bay is only a short 
long-term team. This team will not be together in two or three years. So, because then they're going to have to look for a quarterback. They're going to have to look for a running back. They're going to have to rebuild that defense after these guys leave. Yeah, they have some young guys like Bunting and Smith, you know, that they drafted last year that are trying to solidify the defense now. But that team is a short-term team that's saying, let's win it. It's pretty much make it or break it, my famous line. We're going to make it these next two years as champions. Oh, we're not. So they're putting everything in. So I think Leonard Fournette would be a great, great pickup for the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers. The other rumor, and I'm hearing mixed things. I said this on the show yesterday, is Jamel Adams, the safety for the New York Jets, is supposedly being shopped around. A lot of teams are out there needing a good, quick safety but I'm hearing different things. I'm hearing the reports, yes. And then I'm hearing other reports that say Joe Douglas is saying that's not the case, that Jamal Adams is not going to be on the trading block. So a lot of if and or buts, but a lot of speculation is that if he does get traded, that it very well could be to the Dallas Cowboys. One of our local teams here in Benderville, Arkansas, not too far away, them and the Kansas City Chiefs, and a lot of talk coming out of the Cowboys are very, very interested in Jamal Adams of the New York Jets. Now, as far as the draft goes, this upcoming Thursday, I'll tell you which team you need to watch out for. Um, and we talked about earlier why quarterbacks don't make it in their first year starting as a rookie. Well, here's a case down in Miami where it's a little bit different. This team, listen to the Miami Dolphins. You're talking about rebuilding. Now, if you remember the Miami Dolphins, they, at the first half of last year, everybody didn't expect them to win a game. They were tanking. They had Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback. Nothing's going to work out for this team. They want to lose every game, get the number one pick. Well, the second half of the year, they started playing some really, really good football, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And the amazing thing about the Miami Dolphins is a team that ranked 27th in offense last year and 30th in defense. So a lot of work still needs to be done in Miami. But listen to this, okay? They have six of the first 70 picks. So out of the first 70 picks in the NFL draft beginning this Thursday, they have six of them. They actually have eight other ones besides that for a total of 14 draft picks in this draft amazing what they might be able to do, okay? Obviously, everyone's picking them to get Tua. Then after that, they can build that offensive lineup and get a couple of guys to play some defense. With 14 picks, you have the possibility of really, really doing a lot of things here in the draft. So, you know, I really think if Miami Dolphins do not come out of this draft with an A-plus grade, then they they need a completely different front office, 
personnel, director of player personnel, GM, everything all together. There is no reason why this team should not be solid after this draft. You got the new, let's look at the division. New England Patriots, who knows what the heck's going on there. They lost Tom Brady. They, you know, they they don't have any players up there right now. They are not a good football team. Uh, you look at the Buffalo Bills, which that defense is terrific. Uh, they've done a lot better on offense last year. They're probably picked to win the division this year. Then you have the New York Jets, who is a big question mark with the New York Jets. Can Sam Donald, you know, can they get him some receivers there? And then number two, can Sam Donald finally have the year that everybody expects Sam Donald to have? So there's another team in trouble. Miami Dolphins, you know, watch out for them. They can slowly move up there in that division. I don't know. You know, I'm not saying they're going to win the division next year. But with a lot of those teams having trouble, you never know. They can be a competitive team come uh, next year. Now, when we come back, we're going to be joined by athletic writer who follows the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, has worked for the Tampa Bay Times for 19 years. Greg Orman will be joining us to discuss the Tampa Bay Rays, some of the rumors that we've been talking about, as well as uh, what's going to go on in this draft on Thursday. So we'll be back right after this message. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. Uh, before we get to Greg Orman, you know, I got a question here um, from one of the fans, from John, actually. John from Rogers, Arkansas. There you go, baby. Some local people finally listening to us in the Arkansas area. Wants to know, in my opinion, if the NFL season will be played. And my answer is a definite, positively yes. I think the NFL will have its season. You see different places now. Florida is starting to open up a little bit. I believe today... Uh, the state of Texas is reopening. You know, they're doing it in supposedly three different phases. But I think, no doubt about it, I still think you're going to see baseball this year. The The thing is, it's going to be different. I think both baseball and football are going to be very careful and probably start playing without fans. That's what I believe will be done. I don't think there's a question. Um, whether the football season will be played. I think it's a definite yes. The question's going to be whether college football will be played. Um, and I, the reason I say college is you're dealing with a little different beast when you talk college football versus professional football because it's hard to get the players to be able to play and travel and do all this thing if you're not allowing the students back on campus. It's kind of maybe hypocritical. I, I don't know what the right word is, but it's it's hard. I think if they allow the students back on campus in September, you will see college football. If not, college football may be delayed a month or two or possibly even to spring. But like 
You know, you asked me about professional football. It's a different game in college because you got so much revenue that they depend on. Not that the NFL does it, but 85% of their athletic income comes from football. With the NFL, they, you know, yes, it's going to hurt them when you take away the fans and the money they make at the gates and the money they make, uh, you know, at the concessions. But they can make a lot of that money back on uh, TV revenue. So to answer your question, John, from Rogers, Arkansas, I honestly believe there will be a football season this year. And I think in the next seven to 10 days, if not sooner, it might be sooner, you're going to hear baseball come out and say, we're going to start back up at the end of May. And when I say the end of May, they'll probably start reporting middle of May to end of May, and then start games, whichever. But they're going to put a plan in place that instead of these contingency plans, you're going to have a plan that says, we're going to do this, this, and this. And then I think football within the next 7 to 10 days will do the same. They're just waiting till after the draft. And it's going to be very interesting to see the virtual draft, how that goes this Thursday night. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is uh, my pleasure to introduce to you um, a man who's been who covers the Bucks for the, for the Athletic and also spent 19 years with the Tampa Bay Times, Greg Orman. Greg, how you doing this morning? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Hope you're holding up okay uh, with everything going on in the world right now. Yes, I'm doing real good. How about you? How's the family and everybody doing down there in Tampa? not a tough thing for me. I'm used to kind of working from home this time of year, but uh, i got three kids taking classes from home. My wife's a teacher, so she's teaching from home. So a little bit crazy, but, but everybody's holding up pretty well. Well, that's great. Great, great. Great to hear that. Um, Greg, let me go right into it. Um, before we get to the NFL draft, um, let me ask you, some rumors going around down there um, about the the lifespan of O.J. Howard as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. What are you hearing about that? Yeah, uh, it could be. I mean, we've been hearing this for a while. I mean, this, this was a big story, supposedly, back at the trade deadline in October. Uh, I mean, I think if the right offer came, if, if somebody were willing to overpay for him, um, he's got one year left on his rookie deal and then a fifth-year option. Um, you know, I think that the criticism was that the Howard is the only had one touchdown last year, but played a ton, uh, played more than he had in either of his first two years, uh, just was in more as a blocker. Uh, you know, I think it's one of those where if, uh, again, if, if a team is, is willing to give the Bucks a, a second rounder or something like that, uh, you could see that. I, I feel like at the same time, I mean, Tom Brady's got a great history of throwing to his tight end, so it doesn't make a ton of sense uh, to take away from a position that, that could be much more involved with him as a quarterback. Yeah, and I, and I actually, that that was my exact sentiment as well. And then you hear the other news is that they'll get rid of O.J. Howard and possibly there's been speculation of Rob Gronkowski coming out of retirement and coming down to Tampa Bay. Yeah, it's another fun one. I think people you know want to bring the whole band back together here and have Edelman down here and Gronkowski down here. Um, I mean, he... He retired with the Patriots, so they still have his rights, so they'd have to negotiate some kind of trade. Um, you know, Gronkowski's 30 now and has been out of the sport for a year and, and was injured for part of the last three years. He was playing healthy, or playing in the league at least. So, um, again, it's something that 
upstairs a conversation. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, if he's actually committed to coming back and, and playing football full-time. But um, those two things would, would certainly you know work in better lockstep together if they both happen. I, I still don't know if that makes it happen. Okay, now the Bucks obviously, you know, they definitely need to still a left tackle. Um, we talk about the running game. Do you think with the going around that Leonard Fournette's available, do you think the Bucks are comfortable with Ronald Jones enough, or do you think they could possibly make a pitch after Leonard Fournette? Yeah, I mean, I think they're definitely going to take a running back um, uh, probably here in the draft here the next week or so. I, I don't know that Fournette is a match. Um, it's one of those where, you know, I mean, he's basically a short-term rental. I mean, you get him for one year at about $4 million, and then his, his price goes up to about Eight and a half million after that, so it would be um, it'd be tricky. Um, you know, he caught a lot of passes last year. That's something they're definitely looking for. Um, I don't know if he caught them well. So I don't. I guess I'll be curious to see what the Jaguars are seeking for him in a trade. Um, if all they're seeking to get for him is like a third day pick, it's not a bad trade for a team that you know wants help at running back and feels like they're close to to winning. Uh, but I know the Bucks like the depth of running back in in this draft. Uh, and could very well you know, use a, a third-round pick and get someone who can help them for four years instead of one. Now, Thursday night's the draft, and I know busy, busy week for you, obviously. Um, the Bucks got the 14th pick in the draft, unless something happens where they want to trade up, but as of now, they got the 14th pick. Uh, in your opinion, knowing this team better than anyone, what should they do with that first pick? if it's not an offensive tackle um, unless the top, I guess, four tackles are off the board, uh, which is possible. And they, they definitely have a hole at right tackle right now. I mean, Mark Dodson had been there for a long time. Um, he wasn't re-signed. Um, they've signed a guy named Joe Haig, kind of step in until a rookie is ready, but I think there's every expectation that they'll use uh, a first or a second round pick on, on a tackle. Uh, if the top four tackles are gone, then you could see him maybe take a D-lineman uh, like Jalen Kinlaw. We're talking to Greg Orman from The Athletic. Um, the Bucks have seven picks. Um, besides the 14th pick, they have six other picks after that in the NFL draft. Do you think those six picks are going to be used on the defensive side of the ball? No, probably, probably more of an offense is built on this draft. Their first five picks last year were all on defense. So um, I would think a tackle, a back, and a receiver – are definitely part of those seven. I think there could be a second offensive lineman. Um, I would be surprised if at least four of the seven aren't on offense this year. You know, and I'm hearing a lot about that, and I, I want to ask you why, because you know the situation better than anyone. They keep talking about another receiver. You heard the rumor, like you mentioned, about Edelman. They got two of the best receivers, probably the best duo of receivers in the NFL, in Evans and Godwin. I mean, do you really need another top receiver down there in Tampa Bay? Yeah, I mean, they, they played with a three-receiver set 64% of the time last year. Um, their number three receiver, Rashad Perriman, got $6 million to go to the Jets. So, I mean, they, they definitely want to try and replace him. They've got a couple in-house options, that, you know, lower-round picks from recent years they could step up. Uh, but, no, I, I think they'll take advantage. I mean, this is a really deep class of receivers, so I think they could even wait till the third or fourth round. Uh, and get somebody who's a, a potential upgrade 
at number three receiver. It doesn't have to be a, a number one pick. I mean, I think if if all the, the top offensive linemen and defensive linemen were gone, uh, you could make a case for them trying to take a receiver there if, if one of these top guys like Jerry Judy or, or Henry Ruggs is still there. But, I mean, again, they have two receivers right now, but, I mean, Chris Godwin's an unrestricted free agent a year from now, uh, probably due to make at least $15 million a year. They're already paying, like, Evan, $16 million a year. So there's not many NFL teams that are paying two receivers that much. So I think they have to at least allow for the possibility that, that Godwin might get to a point where it's too expensive for them to keep it. We're talking to Greg Orman from The Athletic. Greg, before we let you go, because we know you're real busy, the Bucks have gotten Tom Brady, obviously. That was the biggest offseason news in the NFL. My question is, how deep can the Buccaneers go in 2020? And could they legitimately be the first team ever to host a Super Bowl in their home stadium? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's that's still a ways off. But I, mean, I think the expectation now with Brady here is that this is a playoff team um, and one that some people at least think could challenge New Orleans for the NFC South title. Um, you know, I think what's going to be the measure of this, this team and the successes is what they can do in the playoffs. I mean, Bucks haven't been in the playoffs at all since 2007. So it's strange to think about evaluating a team's success by what it does in January, but that, that's probably where they're going to be. Um, you know, I think... The expectation for Brady is certainly different than the expectation for the Bucks, at least in, in their histories. Um, but if they can, you know, get into the playoffs with Brady as their quarterback, I think that certainly makes it possible to, to make a deep playoff run. Really hard to know who they'd be facing, where they'd be facing them, all those kind of things. But you know, I think for Brady, if you get the playoffs and at least win a playoff game, this will be seen as a, a disappointment for him. I think he, he's you know known for getting in the playoffs and. and doing things once he's in there. So I think that'll be the same even in a different uniform this fall. And our last question for you before we let you go, Greg. Um, if you had to say there's one missing piece, the the missing piece that gets the Bucks over the hump this year, obviously you already got Tom Brady. So with Tom Brady there, if the Bucks can do this or get this, you feel comfortable with them being over the hump this year? Greg, I want to thank you so much. I know you're busy this week with the draft coming up. I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us. Hey, no problem. Thanks very much. You stay safe. You too. That was Greg Orman, the great writer for The Athletic, who covers the Bucks, and he also worked 19 years for the uh, Tampa Bay Times. We'll be back right after this message. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. I want to remind you all, if you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, topics you want to talk about, I can be reached at FranklySpeaking528 at gmail.com. You can also reach us at our Twitter account, at Larry Frankis. 
That's with a U.S. at the end. We have a Facebook page that is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You can reach us at Frankly Speaking Facebook page. We put some videos, a lot of updated news as it comes into us. We put it right on to you on our page so you can get the most updated sports news around. Please go to our Frankly Speaking page. Like us, listen to us, follow us. Also, if you want to help sponsor us or, or donate to our show, you can do this right on that this link. This is a this is what allows us things like new equipment to go live. Like we just did a special NFL edition show. If you haven't seen it, it's on our Frankly Speaking page. It's on Twitter where you can watch it live. It allows us to do things to be able to provide you with the most updated news and just some type of distraction to you know during this un you know unforeseen times we're going through in the world right now so anything you can do to help is surely appreciated what a great great conversation with Greg Lawman Greg uh, like I said who works for the athletic follows the buccaneers real closely has some great points I think we all think with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that it's inevitable that they go after an offensive lineman. Um, they, According to uh, Greg, he said an offensive lineman, Ricky Reynolds, who I uh, spoke to the other night. Uh, if you don't know who Ricky Reynolds is, he, was the, he played for the Buccaneers for three years, played for the New England Patriots. He said, Larry, you got to get that running game going. And the only way you do that is you have to build up front. You need another offensive lineman. So Ricky Reynolds tells us that. Greg Orman tells you that. I've been telling you that. It looks like, based on everything we're hearing, that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will pick an offensive lineman. Now, some questions get asked, as you heard uh, um, Greg saying that they could also use a running back in a, a late, you know, a mid-round running back, maybe a receiver. The question's going to come up, and let's say, like Greg said, because you got some great tackles in this draft. You're talking about some great offensive linemen. Obviously, um, Andrew... Uh, Thomas out of Georgia is picked to be one of the first ones, one of the first ones to go in the draft. Um, you know, you hear about uh, Michael Benton, uh, who just unfortunately, uh, he failed drug tests. So we're not sure what type of value or lack of value he's now going to have as far in the draft. But let's say they're not available. There's not a decent who the Bucks feel. If Jerry Judy's available, which I would find it hard to believe Jerry Judy would be available because I think if he's available at number 11, that the Jets go after him. And I think the Jets are foolish if they don't go after him. But if a Jerry Judy's available, now you got the tough decision. Could you see that? Judy, Evans... Godwin, we don't know what's going on with Howard, but Braid will be there. Um, wow, what a, what a what a what a triple threat that would be. But I personally don't see that happening. I think the Jets are real real foolish if he's available at number eleven. I mean, the Jets don't have 
Really, and yes, they just got Perryman from the Bucks, who, like Greg said, had a decent year, especially when those two went down. But they don't have anything else. Anuma is so unpredictable, who I think is by far the best receiver, but he's hurt all the time. So it's no good to be great and hurt. So I think definitely the Jets go after him. So I'm really looking forward to uh, Thursday night with the NFL draft. I want to also remind you all, we had Greg Orman from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, not from the Tampa, but from the Athletic. He covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're going to have Jeff Cavanaugh on Wednesday. And if you're wondering who Jeff Cavanaugh is, he works for uh, the fan out of Dallas. 103.5, he works, uh, 105.3, I'm sorry, um, out of Dallas. He covers the Cowboys the Rangers. So we're going to have Jeff on on Wednesday to talk a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys and what we can expect from the Dallas Cowboys. Are they going to go after a safety? I believe they have the 17th pick in the NFL draft. So we'll see what the Cowboys are going to go after. And we'll talk to uh, Jeff about um, just the Cowboys in general and what he expects from um, you know, the next year's team, maybe a little bit about the Zeke and Dak issue with the party. We'll find some, you know, some stuff about the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm sure he'll give us the most updated information. So definitely a show you don't want to miss this Wednesday with Jeff Cavanaugh from The Fan. Before we talk to... uh Greg Orman, we were talking about the question from the gentleman named John from Rogers, Arkansas, about football started, and I brought up to you about college football, and very interesting, yesterday on the Mike Greenberg show, um, Mike was talking to a couple different people um, in regards to what it would be mean to play college football without fans, and the implications it would have. Let, let's join in and listen to Mike Greenberg. There are many possibilities being talked about for the upcoming college football season amid the pandemic. Some ideas to surface include playing a shortened season, playing in front of no fans, even possibly pushing the season to the spring. We've moved a bunch of stuff around because we had such a heated and interesting conversation with this group earlier this morning, and we only scratched the surface of some of the subjects. So on your screen, you see Paul Feinbaum, Booger McFarland, and Laura Rutledge, who I'll start with you, Laura. If you could, uh, let's just sort of put on the table for everybody who was not with us an hour ago, what is at stake here? For the cancellation of a college football season, what is at stake for everybody involved? Well, first of all, let's start with the money, because if we're talking about what's really at stake here, it's over $4 billion in revenue for the fiscal year of just the 50-plus public universities in Power Five conferences. So it's even more than that number, but that just talks about the public universities. And when you're looking at revenue and how it's generated in college athletics, so much of it begins with college football. It, it's more revenue than 35 of the next sports that come behind him, including college basketball, which is much further behind. So obviously football fuels everything. And when you look at college football as opposed to the NFL, 
In the NFL, maybe about 15 to 16 percent of their revenue comes from attendance. In college, it's double that, if not more, depending on which institution you're talking about. So it is crucial for these college football games to be played with fans. And that's why right now, as all of these guys are putting their heads together, men and women across college football, college athletics, they're saying, how can we make this work to have fans in the stands so that it's best for not only football and the revenue generated there, but the rest of the sports and the universities as a whole. Okay, so that's everything that's on the table. Excellent. Paul, let me come back to you then, because the notion of amateurism is something that we and everyone have talked about for such a long time. As far as you're concerned, what hangs in the balance relative to that as these decisions get made? Well, I think the credibility of the sport hangs in the balance, Mike. If, if we have a season starting in September or whenever without students on campus or fans in the stands, then there can be no president or commissioner ever stand in front of a group of uh, people again and try to claim that this is amateur athletics. It would be shattered and, and, and you would just have to well, just go ahead and pay the players and let them play. At least they're taking risks for money as opposed to for the good of uh, good old Notre Dame. Now, the other side of it is uh, if you play uh, with people in the stands and you have to end the season uh, early because the pandemic com comes back, then, then you, you face the consequences of that. But in some ways, uh, they're, they're damned if they do, if they're damned if they don't. And if you move to spring, uh, you, you shatter the myth uh, of, of the normal calendar with basketball. I'll get to spring in just a second, but Booger, let me just come to you as a former player and a great player at LSU, ultimately a first-round pick in the NFL draft. If you were playing now and they said to you, the schools aren't going to be open, the students aren't going to be there, the fans aren't going to be the stands, but we want you to come out here and play, what would you say? Why am I here then? Because I'm a student athlete, right? I mean, that's what I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a student athlete, but now I got to come out and play just because everybody wants to fatten their pocket and, and put the money there. And I get it, guys. I understand the economic impact of football. I get it. It's been a fabric, a part of my life for a long time. But at some point, I, I just think smarter minds need to understand that, guess what? We're struggling right now from a money standpoint, and we may continue to struggle. And so for all the energy and the time and the effort everybody is putting into what model can we come up with to play football, how about putting that time and energy and effort and coming up with an economic model that if we don't have football, what if football can't be played in the fall? Everybody's painting this doom and gloom picture as if football and collegiate institutions are going to end. That's not the case. We will figure out a way. We are the smartest country in the world. And, and I just think at some point, from a human safety standpoint, we have to start to get a grip that, guess what? If fans are not in the stands, and Laura, to your point about the attendance and the attendance that can't take place, guess what, guys? We're saving lives. I'll be damned about the money. We are saving lives. And at some point, we have to focus on that and not so much the economic impact that it's having on LSU, Ohio State, or Florida. That's an important piece in all of this, obviously, the most important piece. Now, Laura, let me come back to you here because the scheduling then becomes significant because we may be living in a very different world in September than we are in January or in March. We keep hearing the notion that the this, this sport could move its season to the spring. What does that look like? Well, first of all, I'll just go ahead and say that all of these conference commissioners are trying as hard as they can to make sure that the season starts on time. And 
I talked to one yesterday who said, look, we're still planning for football to start in the fall, but I think we have to be realistic about this. So let's talk about what that spring schedule would maybe look like. And none of this is being discussed as any sort of hard and fast rule, but this is just an idea. Let's say it begins in February. You get players back on campus sometime around January, and you're able to give them that six-week time period that most coaches say they would need to get ready. Then you do a shortened season, maybe only conference play, where you go through May, early May, maybe even a little bit less than that. That allows for bye weeks, the things that you would need to make sure that players would be safe during that time. Then if you are a team that makes it to the college football playoff, the most games you would play would be about 12 games in all of that. And look, one of the main things here is that a lot of these people are saying that way we would know in a full weather cycle, what does the virus do? We would have so much more information by that point, hopefully testing that would be available to masses, hopefully an ability to protect the fans in the stadium, protect first and foremost, the players, the coaches, their health and safety. And that's what they're trying to look at trying to do. And I'll reiterate one more thing here. As we open this up to all the questions that may come through this, they cannot start a season and end it. That would be catastrophic. They also cannot afford for the viability of the sport in, in the standpoint and other sports uh, long term. They cannot afford to not have football. If they can do anything possible to have it in this calendar year, uh, in this fiscal year and in this, this academic year, they're going to be trying to do that. And I think that's where this spring idea really comes into play. Want to thank Mike Greenberg very much of ESPN Get Up for allowing us uh, that information. Um, and you know, you heard a lot of great points there about college football. You know, the impact of the fans. You know, if it's and I think one of the great points, Booger. You know, listen to Laura Rutledge first. She talks about the money being lost. Uh, she talked about four billion dollars in loss, and that over thirty percent of the revenue that college football makes, it comes from the fans. And then you heard Booger McFarland saying, well, it's more important than money right now. We're talking about safety, which everybody knows is true. But, you know, it goes back to my thing is, how can you allow an athlete who is a student back on campus, but you're not going to allow regular students on it doesn't make sense it, it's called greed and that you know it's all about the money anybody that says college football or college sports is not about the money is wrong they are lying it is about the money and that's what you're hearing and book is right it's not about safety why would you let an athlete who makes no money back on campus who's just a student but you won't let the other students on that is hypocritical and does not make sense. And that's my opinion on that. I mean, you cannot allow, it just doesn't make sense. Now, in all fairness, there is not, and we've said this before, there's never going to be a right time. You're always going to be watched. You're always going to be second-guessed. Is it right? Is it not right? Oh, somebody else got sick. Oh, somebody else is now sick because somebody came to the game who was already sick. You know, and that's why the increase in testing, you know, you got to come up with something. Like Bogus said, we are the smartest country around. We can figure this out. And this is going to be figured out not later. This is going to be figured out sooner. But 
you know, if you're willing to make money by risking athletes' lives, if that's so, because that's what you're saying. If you're not allowing students back and you're putting these athletes on the field, you're saying, well, there's risk to the students. That's not why they're back. But we don't care about the risk to the athletes because we make money off them. Do what Berger says. Give them some type of economical plan or financial plan where they can make some money. Because you're making a crap load of money off these guys at the same time you're risking their life. It's not fair to the college athletes. We'll be back right after this message. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. want to remind you all that on this Wednesday, Jeff Cavanaugh of The Fan from Fort Worth, Texas, will be joining us to discuss the Dallas Cowboys and what they may do in Thursday's night's draft. Only three days away, baby, to the NFL draft. I can't wait. Something's going to be on TV that is live and that I can watch. I cannot wait to the NFL draft. So that's this Wednesday. Want to also remind you that if you have any questions, concerns, topics you'd like to talk about, go to franklyspeaking528 at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Larry Frankus with the U.S. at the end. We have a Facebook page you can leave a message on. Frankly speaking, the Facebook page, you'll find my face. Also, right here we have a voice message. You can leave a message. I will put it on the next episode of Frankly Speaking. Also, we are taking sponsorships again. We are also taking donations so that we can continue to improve the quality of our show with such equipment as microphones and uh, computer software and other great things to provide you with the top notch sports information you're looking for on a daily basis. I want to thank you all for joining us today. Have a great day. Stay safe out there. And we'll be on again tomorrow right here on Frankly Speaking.